podcast this week, we say Jesus and Begara and may you be half an hour in heaven before the devil knows you're dead to Wild Mountain Time stars Emily Blunt and Jamie Dornan. All that and the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that hails our new best reviewed movie of all time overlord, Paddington 2. You know, perhaps if Citizen Kane had had a scene where he was reunited with Rosebud at the end and gave it a hug and said, happy birthday, Rosebud, then that would be the greatest movie of all time. But it doesn't. It is not. That is why you failed Orson Welles. Suck at Welles, you massive failure. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire <laughs> Podcast. This week, I'm joined by only two colleagues of such lethal cunning. After Joe Robinson's triumphant turn in the revolving fourth chair last week, we have left it empty as a tribute to her. She's not dead. Um, just as a as a tribute to how good she was in the podcast last week, which means I once again am saddled with Geek Queen Helen O'Hara. Hello. And great big fucking nerd, James Dyer. Hello. Hello, James. How are you? I am fine. Excellent. You will both be delighted to know that because there's only three of you this week, as in three of us this week, that that means the three-fact structure is also being retired for the week. Hooray! Just retire it permanently. Like, it needs no, rest. No. It, it's, it's bittersweet. It needs a week off to recharge, to just walk around, to have a little walk on the beach. We can go out to places now. So the three-fact structure, if you look outside your window, you may see it partaking of a scone or a scone at a cafe. It's just chilling. But it'll be back next week when we have someone in the fourth chair. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, good, mm-hmm. because this section can... Jump in the sea. However, I do also have a fact, so it, it is it is bittersweet for me. Well, but I'll James, save that fact. I'll yes. save that fact, and it's written out over the next thirty six pages. Uh, I will save that fact for next week. It was Yay. the best of facts. It was the worst of facts. Yeah, it's only one of the two. Yeah. <laughs> do you have one of those things like in movies where if something happens to you in the next week, a copy of this fact is sent to yes. every single major news agency? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You cannot escape my fact. <laughs> and all of them are like, what the hell is this? And who cares? And why yeah. is it going on for so many pages? Every screen in Times Square is going to be taken over by James going, but none of those things is my fact. <laughs> who is this we can, guy? We can but hope. Yeah. That would be, maybe if I were a super villain, I'd be like, shit, fact man. And I would sort of bore people to death with long and overly convoluted movie <laughs> facts. And then maybe. while they were unconscious, steal all their stuff. Yeah. Yes, it's worth a try. It really um, is. It really is. Uh, but listen, how are you both? You good? How how do we feel about this week's big news? The big news I alluded to so so subtly in my introduction um, that Paddington Two has become the best reviewed movie of all time on Rotten Tomatoes, which of mm. course is the arbiter of all these things. Mm-hmm. And uh, it had previously been tied with a little movie I like to call Citizen Kane. And then someone found this week an 80-year-old review of Citizen Kane that was, you know, a little bit standoffish, a little bit dismissive. It wasn't like a, a, a raging diatribe against a movie in any way, shape or form. But nevertheless, that took its average on Rotten Tomatoes down from 100% to not 100%, which leaves Paddington 2 as the only movie on Rotten Tomatoes with 100%. So therefore, it is now officially the greatest movie of all time. 
I cannot quibble with this finding. I also think that maybe, you know, it's perhaps down to the fact that Paddington 2 has uh, plot coherence and no fundamental oh, flaws to its narrative. Oh, Unlike oh, Citizen no. Kane, oh, where it is God. abundantly clear, as I've mentioned on this podcast before, <laughs> that the sled is not called Rosebud because oh, no, no fucker can afford to get a metal embossed stamp of the name of their sled made. It is, in fact, the name of the company that manufactured the sled. Why does no one see this? I am a Citizen Kane truther. Yeah, but he, it's still his sled is a Rosebud. Bud sled. He <laughs> called. He's he's a kid. He doesn't no, understand think, the difference. His first purchase oh was God. the company that made the sleds. He invested in Rosebud no, stock. Just, and actually, actually, that's what it is. That's what the whole film is about. It's no. about the first company that he invested in no. and rose to the board of directors on. And that's, you're you're that's the worst yeah. person. Yeah. You're the just literal worst person. <laughs> you're either a Santa do or a Santa don't. And my friend, you right now are a Santa don't. I'm just saying, if you can't get your eight a load of mank, is what I'm saying. Wow. <laughs> I mean, if you want to have a go at plot holes, Paddington 2 has a bear <laughs> tried for robbery and goes to prison. Now, that wouldn't happen. Well, would it says you. Uh, yes, Helen would roll out the Ursine defence. <laughs> uh, honestly, I think this is uh, a bad thing because now the knives are out for Paddington 2. Which knives is... out? Crossover with Paddington 2? <laughs> Unbelievable. Yes, yes. Um, the knives are out for Paddington 2 and that is a bad thing because Paddington is precious and must be protected at all costs. And uh, actually, I mean, it's it's. I mean, it's not even a storm in a teacup. It couldn't be less of a storm in a teacup, but it's oh. it's a fun, amusing little thing that happened. Ha 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 ha. It is. Fun. Ha ha ha. All's wells that ends wells. So there's no three facts structure this week, which means we're going to go straight, and I mean straight, with no detours or diversions or stopping uh, into the listener question, which this week comes via Twitter uh, from at Scotty underscore Bailey. And he asks, question for the pod, who is the biggest fucking nerb in cinema? So... <laughs> in case you're new to the podcast nerb is basically our new word for nerd um and that's it so there's no big backstory there but uh yeah so basically the question is who is the biggest fucking nerd in cinema i mean what are our criteria well come on like lewis tully's got to be in there for example like that's out. that's surely the baseline right that we're yeah. talking about lewis tully um, lewis tully yeah. in ghostbusters who is of course yeah yeah. Um, yeah. Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis' character, yeah. yeah. He's an accountancy nerd. He is, yes, yes. And he, he's he got his own unique dress sense. And yeah. um, some, I, I think he thinks he has social skills. I would question whether he actually does so or not. But he's not the most, um, how can I put this, uh, alluring and confident. <laughs> And I don't know. The man throws shapes like a men. motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's very unusual for a nerd, and uh, yes, most nerds are wallflowers. Like you know, I'm 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 a nerd. You're a nerd. James is a nerd. You do not want to go to party with all three of us because we cling to that wall. I don't know whether we what I we'll dance be like sometimes if the music's good. Yes, a little bit, you know, but uh, certainly. You know, I don't want to throw shapes because I don't want to show people up. That's basically well, why do. I don't, don't dance. You don't, yeah. of course. Yeah. I'd be sitting in a corner, glaring at everyone, furiously snapping my fingers and looking puzzled at why it's not working. Yeah, you you genuinely do sit there waiting to go home. Like That is 100% what you do at parties. <laughs> yeah. James's mindset was he shows up at a party and he's like, right, I am here, now I can leave. 
Yes. I yeah. think that's, a lot of us can sympathize with that, right? It's, we can it's relate when I realized that. that Carl Pilkington was my spirit animal. I was at a pub quiz with him. We were on the same team and he wouldn't take off his jacket. And I said, are you not hot? And he said, he said no, he goes, I always keep my coat on. I said, why? I said, because then when I want to leave, I don't need to say goodbye to anyone. I can just go. And I was like, you are my God. <laughs> that's not That's not a good thing, right? You realize oh, that, right? It's that's, not a that's good That's genius thing. is what that is. Why were you on a pub quiz team with Carl Pilkington? It's hard to say. Yes, but try. Do try to say. Why were you on a pub quiz team with Carl Pilkington? We had mutual friends, so we ended up on a on a on a pub quiz team together. In a wow. in a pub, doing a quiz. And how did you do? We didn't win. Possibly because Carl got up and left halfway through without <laughs> taking his coat off. And we were a man down. But you know, who can say? Do you remember the time that uh, Empire did a we were yes. we sent a team into a, a very, very special <laughs> quiz for the Richard Linklater film. Everybody wants some three exclamation marks and the publicity team, the the distributor behind the film had set up this pub quiz where the casts of the film would also be taking part. But instead of having their own team, they were assigned one cast member to each team. Yeah. And I ended up, we had the Empire team and we were assigned Glenn Powell. Oh, now, great call. Great call. I wish I was a there. lovely, lovely guy and mm. he was great. But I was, I don't know. I, it's one of the most embarrassing handshake situations of my life. I'm really bad at shaking people's hands. I'm just awful <laughs> at it. Uh, you know, I, I, I haven't written a book like like you, Helen, but if I did, it would be Hewitt versus handshakes uh, because I just can't do it. I just can't do it, especially versus celebrity involved. I just can't do it. And there was one point where uh, I was I was in a bit of a weird mood. I was in a bit of a sullen mood that night. I'm not quite sure why. And uh, I got a question right. And Glenn Powell, this is livable. This has haunted me for days. You probably think this is inconsequential, but this is the sort of shit that keeps me awake at night. And I got a question right. And I suggested something. And Glenn Powell was on the same page as me. And we kind of both suggested the same answer at the same time. And Glenn Powell put his hands up, both his hands up, for me to high-five him. And I don't know why, but I just simply... I, I don't know whether I could be arsed just going across the table. And I just put my hands up and kind of... Jazz hands. Feebly, feebly jazz hands. Handed in his general direction, and I didn't make contact oh with his hands. God. I kind of just went, uh. You oh didn't have air, air high five with Glenn Powell, who just oh, looked no. a bit weirded out by it. And it's really small, but I just think I should have high five Glenn Powell that night. You should, should have yeah. high five Glenn Powell. He's he's excellent. He seems like a totally good dude. Oh, I'm I am appalled. So I think it's clear that the biggest fucking nerbs in cinema are us. <laughs> but apart from us, though. Yeah, pretty much. But uh, but yeah, that's a good one. Lewis Tully. But I, my point about Lewis Tully is we're okay. wallflowers, right? So we're people who cling to the walls and we get to a party. We don't want to go to the party. When we get to the party, it's like, how quickly can I leave this party? Mm. I wonder if food? after and, and, the and, pandemic- And also, where is the food coming from and how do we stand near find, the kitchen? Find the door. All right. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to subvert this question and say, yeah. what is the nerdiest thing about you? Like, What is the nerdiest thing about your personality? Okay. What makes you a great big fucking nerd? I mean, how long have you got? I don't know. I think, oh, what is, yeah, well, that's a very mm, good question. Mm. I think it is a taste for the smaller things in fandom. So it's a taste for stats. It's a taste for minutiae. I think that is basically what sets you apart. You can love something mm. like a Star Wars, but it's when you know who Reese mm. is. That Devil's I think, in the details, moose face. Yeah. That's, what's, that's what that's what kind of sets that. it apart. <laughs> <laughs> that's because you're not a great big fucking nerd, Helen. 
But you are, and this is the thing. You but are. like when it comes to it's Game of Thrones, different when it, colors. Yeah. yeah. When it yeah. comes to Star Trek, like you'll know more than you. Yeah. But yeah, those you'll, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's when you know the real minutiae, not everything, for example. And I, like with football, I'm a big old stats nerd. I know an awful lot about, you know, Liverpool over the years and things like that. So I'm a, very much a football nerd in that sense. But uh, I like to think I'm a kind of, I'm a, I'm a fair to middling nerd in that I can, I can hold my own with, on a lot of things. But there, there is. I will frequently meet people who will outstrip me in terms of knowledge, and you know what? Oh, yeah. I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. I'm totally, mm. utterly fine with that. I have no ambition whatsoever to know anything much about games. I'm totally fine with knowing pretty much zero. I've got and, it covered, and I've yeah, I know, and I've I've kind of uh, <laughs> I've kind of stepped back from uh, trying to know everything about certain areas of stuff like D and D and stuff like that. Don't care. Like so, I'm I'm very happy to seed knowledge in some areas. Seed with a C, with a C, not an S. But that's good, Helen, because otherwise, what would I be able to James explain to you? Well, no, but genuinely, like sometimes I will go to like you or back in the day. I remember Ali Plum talking me through the entire story of The Last of Us, so I n- in no way had to play it, <laughs> but I could still like understand the conversation around it. So it's useful to have these people in extremis, but like I don't mm. care enough to know the stories of most games. Is ownership a big thing as well? I, I mean, you know, buying memorabilia, buying books about a subject, mm. buying paintings, buying toys, all that sort of stuff. Is that is that a big thing of it? Big part of well, it? I think that's that's quite a nerd thing, isn't it? To define yourself by the things you like, yeah, and to fill your surroundings with things that represent the things you like. Like I don't use fucking physical media, and yet. I like the display of DVDs because it's like, these are the things I like and this is what this says about me because yeah. I define myself by my collection of books or my collection of, you know, DVDs, all of this sort of stuff. And for some people, it's music as well. Like people have all their vinyl CDs and stuff. It's because you know, it's not just about listening to the music in the same way it's not for me about reading these books. Like, I'll be honest with you, I'm a complete sociopath. I will read books on a Kindle, but then if I love that book, I will buy the physical book so I can put it on my shelf. I am never going to read that book ever because i have it on my kindle he doesn't but I reread things people it's really weird yeah but i read really slowly if i reread mm. things i would get through maybe one book a decade so let's maybe not do that but uh yeah i know i it's all about being surrounded by the things you love for me books actually weirdly more than anything else so i find it very comforting mm. being around books yeah yeah that's true yeah i think there's an element of thingsness i think there's an element of um probably investing too much in things and in stories and uh, less in what people consider the real world. I I don't know if that's (laughs) true. The real world is overrated. The real world is really overrated. The real world has very unsatisfying narrative arcs. It's like season eight of Game of Thrones, you know, it's it's rushed, (laughs) ill thought through. Mm -hmm. People dying too soon, all that sort of stuff. I think minutiae is a is a very valid thing. I think with me, it's it's different. Like we've talked about the difference between buffs and geeks before, and I think mm. it is. It's less about for me, you know, with films, it's less about you know who the DP was and what kind of lens they used, and you know, oh, that focus puller was the same one they used on this film. You know, I, it's it for me, it's all about the world they create, like world building. I love mm. world building. Mm. I love getting into the, the the thick of it, like things like Game of Thrones. You can immerse yourself in this almost sort of like fathomless mythology. I geek out on that to a massive yeah. extent. Yeah. I love me it. Too. I love love knowing all these tiny arcane things that have absolutely no bearing on the story whatsoever. And I find that a very sort of enriching experience. So I think that's probably my main gig thing. The other thing I would say is, is like, you know, in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, when he's hiding and Doom does the whole 
shave and a haircut. And he's like, and he can almost not do the two bits. That's me whenever someone around me is wrong. Mm-hmm. I am absolutely oh, genetically yeah. incapable of not pointing out. Case in point, I did a press junket this week, one of those virtual Zoom press junket things. And there's a whole thing where you get, you're in a sort of a waiting room beforehand you and a bunch of other journalists and stuff. And so me being, as we discussed, massively antisocial, turned off my camera, muted my mic, don't want to know any of you. So I'm waiting there for my time to do the interview, ignoring everyone. And they start doing a quiz about sharks. And they're talking about things, they're going through very, very, very specific, and I'm not listening and my mic is muted. And one of them mentioned bones. And and sort of so 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 twitching, like a little vein in my head started mm-hmm. twitching, and I could not help myself. Mm-hmm. I had to unmute and go, oh, I think you'll find sharks are cartilaginous and therefore do not have bones. And then obviously remuted myself because I am that so guy. So just wow. this disembodied voice came out of the air, was an absolute bell end, and oh then just God. vanished again. My I think your fineness is is just it cannot be restrained. That is off the chart. That is off the chart. <laughs> wow. By the way, Jimbo, that yes. uh, junket experience that you had this week, I think was the first time you've had it. Um, it's I've had it a few times. And can mm. I just say applause to all the movie companies for making the virtual junket experience as horrifying <laughs> and soul-destroying as the actual junket experience. Well done, everybody. Mm. If yeah. anything, even worse, because you don't even get a free cup of coffee or a cake. Mm. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. 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 This yeah. is it. And uh, I fully applaud having to sign in an hour and a half before my interview <laughs> and then just listen to people be wrong about Talk sharks, about sharks. For, <laughs> for 90 minutes. That's... That's just great. That's just great. But hey, listen, this may be this may be a bit inside baseball. So let's return to the question, shall we? So <laughs> I was saying, if us? you cast your mind back to Lewis Tully, what I was saying was, we're wallflowers. He's meant to be a nerd, and he's very socially active. Like he's throwing that party mm-hmm. for his clients, admittedly for his clients, and probably as a way of getting more work as an accountant. But yes. he's always felt a little bit socially aggressive for me to be truly a nerd. He looks like a nerd because he reels off accountancy facts and figures all the time and he looks like Rick Moranis but I would question whether he actually is a nerd he doesn't have the social skills as well so he's actually revealing loads of personal information about his clients to other people not apparently realizing that that is not the done thing you know, yes, I love that. So, love so that's that. that's kind of nerdish. The, the whole idea of not having any social filter or, or social skills, I think, is traditionally quite a nerdy thing. Okay, I think Egon surely in that one. Sure, in yeah. Ghostbusters. Well, his his collection of uh, spores and fungus, isn't it? Spores, well, molds, I collect spores, molds, and fungus. Yeah, it's got to be George McFly, hasn't it? He's yeah, a yeah. Lip yeah I mean, he literally grows up to be a sci-fi writer, and and you know, with the greatest of respect, that's pretty nerdy. Um, mm. Mo- for most sci-fi writers, hashtag not all sci-fi writers, um, but most. Jeff Goldblum in Independence Day is a pretty big fucking yes. nerd. Yes. Oh my god, he's a dreamboat yes, he nerd. Yeah, he's a good the- nerd. In fact, in fact, not so much. I mean, he's not one in. Although I guess he is kind of a nerd in Jurassic Park. But I would say Laura Dern's Ellie Sadler is a big old fucking nerd. I mean, they're all nerds. That's the great thing about Jurassic Park. That's the Park. thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> it is Revenge of the Nerds. Hey, there's a film, uh, Revenge of the Nerds, obviously. And Napoleon Dynamite, I feel like he hasn't come up yet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. McLovin. Mc- he is McLovin. And mm-hmm. Data, Data from the Goonies as well. Great That's big That's a good nerd. call. I'm going to say Peter Parker, but not... Which one? The Andrew Garfield Peter Parker and not the Tom Holland Peter Parker. Oh, it's but Toby. Oh. Toby Maguire Peter Parker. Oh, yeah. That guy is, yeah. that he is nerd, he is geek, he yeah. is dweeb, he is everything. He is everything. Miss United States. Um, <laughs> I think, I actually think I would put in a word for Tom Holland's Peter Parker. I think he is a bit of a nerd. He is, but the, the Toby like Maguire one, one is as much of a nerd as the guy who directed the film. 
Sam Raimi, you know? Yeah, but he, I mean, he's he's like, he's hit on by all of the, you know, the hottest girls in school. He's a very good looking chap. He seems very socially adjusted. I don't know. Who, Tom I think, Holland? I mean, he's not I mean, really by hit my standards, on by. maybe. He's but, just, well, you know, yeah, he still ends up, you know, getting date to the prom. Admittedly, it's the supervillain's daughter, but. Like, nerds don't all. all have to die alone. Like, Chris is married, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, that's so, true. You know. <laughs> yes, and one of life's great mysteries. <laughs> How did I? How did I manage to peel myself off that wall long enough to to woo my wife? What spell did I cast? We may never know. We may never know. What do you call her? Uh, uh, Alison Hannigan in uh, American Pie. Oh yes, yes. And Buffy, yeah, this, and most this things. One time at band camp. <laughs> Lily in the Princess Diaries is a big old nerd. That's who I was. I literally had her face in my head, and I was trying to get her name <laughs> out of my mouth. But yeah, she's she's. I mean, she hosts her own chat show because you know th- I think that's the best way she gets to people to talk to her. She's yeah. she's a great oh. nerd. Uh, she's adorable. Everyone in Pitch Perfect is a nerd. That's pretty. No, that's mm, that's not entirely true. I'm saying if is you join in an acapella group, you're probably a nerd. No, but like in the reality of the film, acapella groups are like cool, cool. or whatever. Yeah. So I don't yeah. think that's necessarily true. Anna Kendrick's character is not a nerd. Yeah, Brit- and Britney Snow is not a nerd. Like she's far too Britney cool Snow. in that film. Queen of no. the North. Yeah, but like. <laughs> As always with these things, I'm just going to very, very quickly look at the uh, top 250 films on the IMDb. Number one is not Paddington 2. It is The Shawshank Redemption. And yes, I think Andy Dufresne is a great big fucking nerd. He is. He really yeah, yeah. is. That's fair. Yep, yep. Fredo? Fredo's a nerd, surely. Yeah. He is a nerd. Yeah. He is a nerd. <laughs> I mean, Definitely. I, think, I feel like you're you're widening the definition. He took sides against the family, Helen. Yeah. Um, I know he did. Uh, I know he did. Rachel Weisz in The Mummy is a nerd. She is. She's an amazing nerd. She is mm. also cinema's greatest librarian. So she gets double points. She does, yes. Being a librarian, that's 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 peak nerd. Justin Long in Galaxy Quest. Oh yes. Yeah. I love him in that. Oh take you out the garbage when he's in the middle of trying to save the day. Yeah. Both oh, Harold and Kumar. <laughs> Are they that? <laughs> Again, I think they're maybe a bit more outgoing I, than I Yeah, I, would I think they're imagine. a bit cool. You're disqualifying their nerbery. Look, you can ha- you can be a nerd and be more socially adept than you guys are. Like, just to be clear, like you can have. No, that's friends. the level. That's the level for me. It's like no, you're completely hermetically sealed. That's what that's what you need to be to dedicate yourself to nerdery. I don't think. I think that's too narrow a definition. I mean, if James was too wide, you're too narrow. <laughs> All right. Okay, well, listen, uh, we probably talked uh, enough about this, or not that much at all, but uh, either way, I think we should bring it to an end. As ever, though, these things are never meant to be exhaustive. They're never meant to be definitive. Uh, so we're not going to tick off every single suggestion. You know, I know we haven't mentioned Sherman Clump from The Nutty Professor, either Nutty Professor uh, or a sequel, for that matter. Uh, we haven't mentioned any character played by Stephen Topolowski or Russell from Up. There's loads and loads and loads of movie nerds. So if we have missed any... Do write in and tell us. Do contact me on Twitter and tell me. And if you want to have your question read out on the Emperor Podcast, you can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm at Chris Hewitt. You can slide into my DMs if you fancy. You can reply to any of my tweets uh, once you've stopped laughing, of course. And uh, Or you can wait for me to send out a panicked shout-out every now and again. But I believe this gentleman, Scotty Bailey, he just he just asked us this question. You can do that too. You can live the dream as well. Hashtag inspiration. Indeed. Uh, And speaking of inspiration, it is time now for this week's guests. 
Oh yes, indeed. I subjected myself to the the horrors of an online junket a few months ago on the 8th of December 2020. That's when I did this interview because we were expecting Wild Mountain Time to be out just before Christmas. And then it got pushed back and pushed back and pushed back some more. But it is finally out this week on VOD as of today, April 30th, when you're listening to this. And so you can watch the Emily Blunt, Jamie Dornan, rom-com, rom-dram. It's the latest film from John Patrick Shanley, who is the writer-director, of course, famously of Moonstruck. And this is a movie that, when the trailer for this dropped last year, it caused quite a kerfuffle on Twitter uh, because it is set in Ireland. It stars Emily Blunt and Jamie Dornan as two Irish characters who fall in love of sorts after a fashion, I guess you could say. And um, Twitter was less than kind about their accents in the trailer and Christopher Walken's as well. Personally, I thought, and you know, I I have a dog in this fight, as does Helen to to an extent, of course, we're from the North, but you know, I think I know what an Irish accent sounds like. And uh, I felt that they were, they were fine. They were fine. And one of them is even better than fine, mm. I would say. But hey ho, don't let that get in the way of a good meme, a eh, Twitter. But nevertheless, uh, I did this interview with them in December. Emily Blunt and Jamie Dornan together, and uh, they were great fun. Had a good old blast. So here you go, me talking to Emily Blunt and Jamie Dornan. Can't remember a goddamn thing we talked about, but listen, the important thing is that we made friends along the way. Uh, It's on Zoom as well, and they weren't wearing headphones. There might be some audio uh, quality issues as well. Anyway, ha ha ha. Emily Blunt, Jamie Dornan, enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the stars of Wild Mountain Time, Emily Blunt, and Jamie Dornan, and I apologise in advance if my accent gets naturally stronger during the course of this conversation, because that's what happens. You put me in rough proximity with another Northern Northern Irish person, and it just gets stronger and stronger and stronger, so it does. So I apologise in advance. I I thought you were going to get more and more British, sort of English sounding (laughs) as it it went on. I was sort of hoping for that. Can you imagine if I just went very, very posh for questions to you, and ever Jamie and me like this, and try and differentiate between the two of them? (laughs) <laughs> that would be interesting. Uh, Emily, do you find that? Do you find your accent changes? Are you an accent chameleon ar- around people? I do. I do feel that that happens to me quite a lot because I live in Brooklyn most of the time. But then when I go back to London, you know, I think I do become more and more British sounding. And um, even my children who have very American accents, um, <laughs> we've been living in London for five months and they've been in school there. And my little one was singing Jingle Bells for me the other day. And normally, you know, she sounds very American. And suddenly she goes, Jingle all the way. And I was like, yes! I was so (laughs) thrilled at all the way. So I'm kind of hoping she keeps that. Amazing. It's a joy. I love yeah. that. My, fa- my father is thrilled because he always teases them about their really American accents. <laughs> like how, how American are we talking here? Like, you know, hey, New York, like that kind of, that kind of American or I'm walking <laughs> here, I'm walking sound- here, <laughs> that kind of thing. Sounded like Robert De Niro. Um, no, they, uh, they, they, they say water, you know, but okay. now they're saying water. So I'm th- uh, thrilled. <laughs> You're winning the battle. John's livid. <laughs> no, he loves it. He loves it. And Jamie, what about yourself? How have you maintained the accent over the years? Because you have maintained your accent. Uh, well, well done on that. I think to be honest, Chris, like um, I, I am, I um, I don't know how long you've been in living in the UK, but like I've been uh, nineteen years here, so a long time. 
But um, my, the thing for me is I, I've, I've had the same group of mates since I was a kid. And most of us, after I came here first, well, uh, to England first, and then uh, everyone sort of went away for uni, but then I sort of was living here first. But most of my mates from school ended up moving to London after uni. So I have never escaped, not that I want to escape, but I've never escaped uh, my friendship group I've had forever. And they're, 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 they're such a big part of who I am and so um I you know I obviously have to lose the accent occasionally for work you know often for work but um uh in my day-to-day uh you know um uh I definitely I probably sound pretty similar to when I first first left but sadly my kids don't at all my kids are Polish English kids and uh um they just now and again I, and they can't even weirdly when they were younger the eldest could do quite a good impression of me and there's a book that there's an oil in a towel in the book, and he used to do this great oil in a towel impression, but she can't really do it anymore. I don't really understand why. So um, I kind of make them sound more Irish all the time, but they, they, they're not buying it. <laughs> it's just one of those things that changes over time. Uh, literally, my first week at university, uh, one of the, the people who became my one of my very best friends there, I, I said, Hey guys, you want to go to the, you know, the, the movies and watch a film? And immediately he went, um, I think you'll find Chris, it's a film. And so I've been shamed and chastened ever since. It's, it's been ridiculous, but uh, but in, in a roundabout way, this brings us on to to the movie itself as well, because you know you're both doing Irish accents in this, and uh, Jamie, obviously, you have to some extent a home advantage. But how did you both find your way into into this? Because it is it's a Southern Irish accent, not not your own. Yeah, and it's not just a you know we ended up trying to find something that was um, palatable for the world you know this isn't a movie made for ireland for people in ireland you know uh, hopefully it has a global audience and and uh uh john patrick shanley our, our writer director um you know he said that if we signed in anything like his real family who this is loosely based on nobody would understand a word we said so you know it's trying to find something that's a little bit close to westmeath but not so full-on you know um it's just a general sort of midlands uh thing and i guess i do have a bit of an advantage but you know um emily and i both had uh uh, uh brendan Gunn, who's our uh dialect coach recorded all, all the lines for us uh walking around listening to him in our heads for a long time leading up to it so um they're definitely close to what, what we plan to do and Emily, what about yourself? So was it the same thing that, that Jamie said? If it, if you were too close to the real accent, the, your accent, your dialect coach would go, nope, I couldn't understand a word of that. So dial it back, dial it back. Well, we actually, the only thing we, we had, just because also it was a very low budget film. And so, you know, we just had Brendan uh, recorded all of our lines for us. And then, so I just would walk around Brooklyn with Brendan in my head, kind of saying the lines. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I always really enjoyed the accent part of things and the shape-shifting part of playing someone. So um, for me, that that always helps me shed the skin of me, you know, and be someone else, look like someone else, sound like someone else. And so I really enjoy that element of it. Obviously, it's a bit intimidating to do an Irish accent in front of an Irish crew. You know, I know that Christopher Walken talked about that a lot. He was like, oh, this is like so painful to do it in front of Irish people. But um, I don't know. We all sort of did our best and tried to just make this a bit of a love letter to Ireland, which is really what it is. It's like this fable-esque fairy tale, otherworldly quality. And I think when people see the film, they'll really understand that, you know, and the way John Patrick Shanley writes is quite heightened. It's like this sort of magical realism. And we were never supposed to sound like a sort of metropolitan Irish 
accent. It was supposed to take you somewhere else, really. And it's a movie, I mean, your two characters are very much people who are, you know, not to give too much away, you, you're, you're in love with each other, but you're just taking a, a goddamn long time to say it to each other. And it's <laughs> very much about that. It's very much about, I guess, having the nerve to pluck up the courage to commit to the thing that you want, to actually say it finally after years of holding within. Uh, is that something that either of you can relate to? Massively. I think that that's, I think that's what appealed to me when I read the script. I was completely enchanted by it. And I remember Shanley saying to me, you know, this is just, it's almost like a farce about caution and how cautious people are. And I, I know that from the part of the world that I come from, the part of the world that Jamie comes from, that, you, that you're from. It's we're very reluctant to express ourselves fully in our feelings and what we feel about things. And um, it's certainly where I'm from is like, they remind me so much of my family, you know, that sort of reluctance, that feeling of being stuck in your own or frozen with fear in your own caution of expressing yourself properly. And um, and so it just made me laugh. I, w I really understood it. I, I get that. I understand what that's all about. And, um, Luckily, you know, she ends up seizing the day, but it's because she comes to her wit's end and can't put one foot in front of another without imagining a life with him. And I, I found her so funny in that way. It's like she she does these reckless things, like goes to New York to try and see if that works for her. But ultimately, all she wants to do is sort of soul gaze with this with her neighbor, you know, that she's wanted to be with from the moment she saw him as a child and there is that beautiful line that she says to John Hamm's character where she says, have you ever had a dream since you were a child and you couldn't let it go? And that is just so true to who she is. And I sort of fell in love with that quality, that determination, that reckless abandonment she ends up finding within herself to tell him what she feels. And, uh, and Jamie, what about yourself? Yeah, you know, similar, uh, uh, you know, that's it, it, why I think it it works so well, the sort of juxtaposition with, with, with John Hamm's character and, you know, that if I'm being really broad here, Americans are more confident than people from this side of the world. I don't find, I don't think you'll find anyone in the world would argue with that. And, uh, you know, he comes in and sort of bullishly is like, why would you wait around? Why don't you know about this? Like, you know, just if something's in front of you, you take it. And it's just the opposite of how, how, how Anthony thinks. And, um, yeah, I can definitely relate to that. And he sort of was the embodiment of all of my own shortcomings, maybe, or lack of confidence. And, and um, you know, we've all um, had situations in front of us that we haven't capitalized on, whether that's anything, you know, but, but certainly, you know, love or the potential of love. Um, you know, if you, if you look back historically through your life, I'm sure we've all, you know, missed the stuff. Uh, and uh, probably not as dramatically <laughs> or for as long a period as, as Anthony. But, um, you know, I, 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 I find it so endearing that, that that's the way he is, you know, and all the more satisfying when it does all come together at the end. And you mentioned uh, Christopher Walken, of course, the great Christopher Walken. Essentially, what was it like just sharing a frame with that guy? And do either of you do sneaky Chris Walken impressions? I'm not going to ask you to do it now. Obviously, you're not performing monkeys. But if you wanted to, if you wanted to throw one in, I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> I couldn't. I mean, I really couldn't. I, I, I don't think I could ever do it justice. I also feel like Christopher is probably the most impersonated man 
in the world. You know, I think everyone thinks they can do a Christopher Walken impersonation. Um, so I'm not even going to um, uh, insult him by trying, but he, we were both madly in love with him, completely madly in love with him. He is so delicate, actually, and fragile and sweet and gentle, funny and definitely a man of very few words. He, But when he speaks you know it's because he really wants you to know something and he's so iconic he's so it was we were just lucky to you feel lucky to breathe the same air as him you know it it was really exciting and you know it was it was it was a thrill i loved him and jamie you're obviously playing his son in this did that mean that you had to you know let a bit of walk and rub off on you so to speak uh unfortunately worded sentence but there you go Um, no, I really would never. I don't. By a, I don't do a good impression of him. B, I would never even try one now, having got to know Chris the man. And you know, um, it, it, everyone's version of of him is so heightened, and uh, uh, he does have a unique way of phrasing stuff. Let's not you know deny that. But it's nowhere near how hammed up it is when when you hear people people do it. You know, he has a real softness and, and, and beauty to him and, and um, you know it's a bit of a once in a lifetime, once in a career situation to to, to you know share screen time with him to, to play his son you know um, and I just feel very fortunate that I got that, that time you know, you know do that and, and uh, it was everything you'd want it to be and more you know and um, and uh, Emily you mentioned there as well that obviously this was a, a low budget movie and uh, I think at times you can see that you guys were uh, up against it weather wise shall we say it seems <laughs> fairly cold uh, you know I haven't been back uh, to Ireland this year for obvious reasons but uh, the last time I went it was fairly cold and fairly wet and I imagine you were up against it every single day in those terms well, I think that, you know, just because we didn't have much time to shoot it, we shot shot it in like four or five weeks. And so Shanley had made it very clear in the beginning, like we don't have time to wait for the good weather. We will be shooting whether it's pissing down or it's the sun is shining or it's doing both in the scene. So I think that's just what we had to do. And the whole film has this sort of elemental feel to it that that is very true to Ireland and very true to... I mean, we literally just shot in whatever was happening. And so... Even the party scene, Christopher Walken's birthday party scene, is like, it was pissing down. It was just like freezing. And they're insisting on having this sort of outdoor, these outdoor festivities for him. So I think we both grew up in quite cold, wet countries. So for me, I'm not that bothered by it. But uh, I, I think when we did the, the big rain machine scene at the end, that big like passionate scene at the end, that, that was, I don't know if I've ever felt colder in my life um, doing that scene. Yeah, Jamie, I have to say, I mean, you, you know, it's it's pretty wet as it is. The skies are pretty forbidding. And then and they bring the, the rain machines. You get soaked in this movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But like, you know yourself, Chris, like the west of Ireland particularly is just so wild weather-wise. And um, we're pretty much, you know, a little bit north of central west of Ireland. The, the further north you get up there into Donegal, and it's just... You know, it's you would not believe the weather there unless you are there, you know. So it's a wee bit of that in Mayo. Um, but then just when we thought, you know, we weren't getting enough naturally bad weather, we brought in this very aggressive uh, <laughs> that um, didn't particularly have it in for Emily. I don't know, this machine was out together uh, on that. On that, uh, on that 
climactic scene. It was just like lashing into the face, you know, and uh, but uh, <laughs> like a true like uh, professional, we, we we she got through it, and I I mean I was barely getting. I was just getting back in the head a wee bit. I was fine. I I think. <laughs> I mean, I would have hoped you were shielding me, but I think it was it, it was almost like it was it was quite violent. It's quite a violent rain machine. I remember. I just want to ask what's what's next. Uh, Emily, obviously, because of the pandemic, uh, the movies that would have been out this year, Quiet Place Part Two and Jungle Cruise have been moved to next year. So we're going to get a whole lot of blunt next year. But are, are we also what else? Are you, again, very unfortunate. <laughs> 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 but, uh, Sorry, it's fine. I'll, I'll fix it in post. It's all good. Uh, okay, great. What else are you working on uh, for for next year? I start this um, this uh, project at the end of January. It's a six part limited series uh, for BBC and Amazon. It's called The English, and it's a western, and it's written by Hugo Blick, written and directed by Hugo Blick, and it's. It's such an astonishing piece. It makes my heart race to even think about getting to do it. I, I, I'm so excited about it. It's, I've never done a Western, and this one is just as witty as it is violent, and I just can't wait, really. Amazing. Exciting. Yeah. And, and Jamie, I know you've been back home with Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, well, actually, sadly, weirdly, shooting a movie called Belfast, we didn't get to shoot much of it in Belfast because of um, this little uh, COVID-19 thing you may have read about. But we, 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 we got to do some aerial stuff back and, and, and some location stuff without a huge crew. But the majority of it we, we shot here. We shot it in the UK. We shot it in, in, in Berkshire, of all places. Um, <laughs> um, but unbelievable sets that we built. And, um, you know, <clears throat> it was very strange flying in local Belfast actors to shoot a movie called Belfast in Berkshire. Yeah. Um, was, was, it was very strange at times. But it was a real treat. You know, uh, Christopher Walken playing my dad in in, in uh, Wild Mountain Time, to Kieran Hines and Judy Dench playing my parents with with Ken. So I, I feel like I've been very lucky in the parent uh, in fake parents in the last couple of things I've done. <laughs> Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. So it has. I have to get a Northern Irishism in there somewhere. Uh, Jamie, Emily, thank you very much indeed for your time. Thank you. Thank Cheers. you. Thank you. Okay, so that was Emily Blunt and Jamie Dornan. We will be talking about Wild Mountain Time in the reviews section later on in the show. But first, we're going to delve deep into the movie news. And I guess there's only really one place to start. And that is with the trailer for The Tomorrow War. No, kidding. It is with (laughs) the Oscars, which happened. Uh, I've seen a story here. Arnold Schwarzenegger turned off the Oscars. It was so boring, he said. I couldn't watch it anymore. Uh... I've one up you, Arnie. I didn't watch a single second of it. Uh, did anyone here watch any of it? How, how was it? I did. Yeah, I didn't watch it all live, but I, I have watched a lot of it. Um, it was it was weird, um, different, um, sometimes good. I think they encouraged people to. Well, they had they got rid of the whole playing people off and limiting speeches, which actually didn't lead to massively longer speeches, but did I think give people a little bit of a sense of calm and and hopefully they tried to be entertaining in in many of their speeches. And uh, you know, it was it was odd. I think they made that huge howler basically with the ceremony. So as mm. I'm sure everybody has heard mm. by now, they decided to sh- uh, futz with the order of awards. So they presented best picture third last followed by actress and then actor. And they obviously hoped that they would finish with a Chadwick Boseman win, which would be an emotional kind of moment of catharsis for all of the people who are grieving his loss. And it would have been 
I don't know, I guess they were thinking it would have been kind of a, a, an emotional cap to the night. Of course, the problem with that is it depends on Chadwick Boseman definitely winning, which in fact he did not because Anthony Hopkins took Best Actor for The, the Father, also an extraordinary performance, no disrespect to him. And, <laughs> and wasn't um, there. <laughs> and wasn't there and was not, he had apparently offered to be on Zoom, but was not willing, understandably, to travel from Wales to London to the yeah. designated hub uh, to be mm. there live at four o'clock in the morning. He's 83 so years old. He's 83 years old. He can do whatever the fuck he likes with these things. <laughs> uh, and I want to stress that he really can. So yeah, so he, he wasn't online. So the, the ceremony just kind of finished, just stopped. <laughs> With a no-show, I mean... Yeah, and Joaquin Phoenix also was presenting that award. What they've done, which I think is probably a good thing and a, probably an interesting thing, is they had Best Actress present Best Actress and Best Actor present Best Actress. So the, the, the outgoing winner was presenting the category the following year. And I think that was kind of a nice thing because it's a bit... It's a bit binary, isn't it, to have actress present actor and vice versa. I think it's a bit, it feels a bit old fashioned. So I wasn't averse to having, you know, the same person come out and present. Although I guess it could cause problems if you were a sort of Tom Hanks and you were up for it two years in a row. <laughs> I would pay to see him give it to himself. <laughs> that would be amazing. Um, but then it, I think it he did do mean- that on his OnlyFans. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's not right. Please, oh, can, we not not. Right. Please no. can we not advertise Tom Hanks OnlyFans on no, this podcast? No. Anyway, my point being, and there was a point, I swear, that Joaquin Phoenix is pretty like low-key at the best of times. What? No. Chuckles Phoenix? What are you talking about? <laughs> Anthony Hopkins was too modest to have written an official you know, statement accepting the award, and so it was just this damp squid of a finish. And I think it actually emphasised you know, the loss of Bozeman, which was yeah. nobody's intention. So it was just a mess. I just don't understand how the organisers didn't see that coming. Because like, yeah, yeah, sure, we thought he would win, but it was by no means a dead cert, no. as evidenced by the fact that he didn't fucking win. You know, surely they would have been better off, like, I don't know, playing the odds. Or just keeping it in the order it was yeah, meant to be. But also they've introduced a gender issue as well. Like when best actor becomes like the big night thing of the night, it introduces a weird gender imbalance which wasn't there beforehand. They actually go back and forth on that, usually. I think they I think they've been going back and forth on which one gets presented last. But to, but to finish with it. That make that brings it into focus. No, I mean, I don't think that would have necessarily like, you know, some some years they present best actress first and some years they present best actor first. So I don't think that in itself is the problem. I think it's just not having Best Picture last, which feels like it should be the climax of the night anyway. And I know that they were like, it's a, you know, there's no tension in that. Everybody knows it's going to be Nomadland and right enough it was. But still, it's still I the mean, big award of the night. You still have to treat it as such. Last week we did our, our predictions, or you did mm -hmm. your predictions. I stayed manfully on the fence uh, at all times. Uh, but let's go through the categories. Uh, sure. How close did you get? How accurate were you in uh, reaction in, in relation to, to this? So, uh, not going to do every category sure. because we'll be here all year. Uh, but obviously, we're going to start off with uh, Best Live Action Short Film. Now, that was one. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But that was one by the Two Distant Strangers film, which is on. Um, mm which is on Netflix at the moment, and it's, it's very, very good. Uh, but best animated movie, that went to Seoul. It did go to Seoul, which is, I think, what we all predicted, even mm -hmm. if it wasn't necessarily what we all wanted. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm glad to see Seoul won best score, by the way. That's a mm. very, very good score. John Batiste's half of the score in particular is, is excellent. So uh, Emerald Fennell won best original screenplay for Promising Young Woman. Yep. Yeah. Good. Well, my, my soul obviously cries out for Trial of Chicago 7. Of course, uh, I'm, of course. I'm, I'm happy with Emerald Fennell winning that, and I thought she would. How gracious of you, Jimbo. To, <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, that is gracious of me. I think so. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, best adapted screenplay was The Father by Christopher Hampton and Florian Seller. I don't think we called that. I'm pretty no. sure we didn't, in fact. Um, but I'm pleased with it. Yeah, I think it's a. I think it is very difficult, actually, and we're going to talk about that when we get the review section, to make a stage play into a good film. And I think even mm-hmm. though The Father is set all in one location and is quite a claustrophobic set in some ways, it did not feel like a stage adaptation for most of its running time. And I think that's a real testament to to the job he did. So yeah, well done him. Uh, best supporting actor was Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen his speech. It was very, very good. Very well deserved. <laughs> it was a good speech up until he, he embarrassed his poor mother. My God. What can you do? That's what mums are there for, to be embarrassed by their sons. Uh, but yeah, cracking performance in that. Uh, yeah. I have to say, Best Supporting Actress winner was Yu Jung Yoon for mm. Minari. Once again, speech of the night, uh, like she was at the BAFTAs, um, mm-hmm. chiding Brad Pitt for not turning up to the set when they were shooting in Tulsa. He was a producer, obviously, on the film. Um, yeah, she was great fun. Best Actor. Now, it is Anthony Hopkins for The Father, as we said. Mm. Um, what one man can do, another can do. Indeed. Yeah, I mean, I did think it was going to be Bozeman with a home field advantage in a way that he didn't have at the BAFTAs, but I think it maybe goes to show that there is a fair bit of overlap in those voting bodies and Mm -hmm. also just the quality of Hopkins' performance. Uh, Best Actress. Now, this is interesting in that Mm. I think we all did, or you all did, uh, peg uh, Frances McDormand as a winner last Mm -hmm. week, and that makes her a three-time Oscar winner. Yeah, for for lead actress as well. Yeah. Yeah. Now, as anyone who saw her in Darkman would know, you would instantly have pegged her in that movie as a three-time Oscar winner, particularly the scene where she comes home and watches her laboratory blow up, or Peyton Westwake's laboratory blow up, and uh, and she's very, very sad, and then the camera transitions, the shot transitions to her standing by the graveside. Such emotion, such depth of feeling in one shot. Possibly the greatest shot in the history of cinema. I know it's not Paddington 2, but there you go. So I instantly paid her as a three times winner. But what I'm saying is I'm surprised that they actually, that the Academy went for that because I felt that they almost keep a tally of this thing, these things. And maybe they felt also she won only a couple of years ago. So maybe Mm. they felt that it was a bit too soon for for a third, for a three time winner. I think she's maybe that good. Um, And I think also it was, I think there was probably a split vote uh, situation this year. You know, the SAG Awards went one way, the Globes went another, the BAFTAs obviously went for McDormand. It has been a really closely fought best actress race, and they're they're all kind of incredible performances. So, yeah, this one this one was a bit weird, but I don't think it necessarily went to the wrong person. Even though I do think Carrie Mulligan's getting to the point where she might be becoming overdue for a win. Ah, uh, but then so's Glenn Close. True, true. But her she was in best supporting actress this year, and also mm-hmm. like she gave one of the you know least compelling performances of her career in that film. So. No big deal. This is true. But yeah, yeah, whether whether they will redress the balance, I don't know. But uh, all I'm saying is, Julie from Darkman has three Oscars. Dr. Peyton Westlake has none. Unless, of course, you subscribe to my theory, which is that every movie made after Darkman is a Darkman sequel. And every character you see on screen could be Dr. Peyton Westlake in disguise. So therefore... Congratulations to Dr. Peyton Westlake on his 57th Oscar win. Right. Best director. (laughs) Best director. (laughs) Take the fucking elephant. Best director, Chloe Chow for Nomadland. And again, Mm. that was something that we were all predicting. I mean, I I don't think there's been much, um, there's been, there hasn't been a lot of discussion on this one because she has won, I think, everything. 
uh, mm-hmm. this year. Uh, pretty much every major award this year. And uh, so there was very little doubt going into this category about how she would fare. And rightly so. It's a fantastic, fantastic film. Can't wait to see The Eternals. Really can't. Mm-hmm. Best international feature film was won by Thomas Finterberg's Another Round. Yeah, I but yeah, I think it's a really strong category this year. I think, you know, Quo Vadis Aida is an incredible film. Absolutely astonishing. And I'm surprised that Another Round has been as as dominant as it has been, just because it's a little bit less um, obviously weighty and serious. And often, you know, the Oscars do go for the weighty, serious ones, you know? Mm. So I'm surprised it's done as well as it has. Not surprised that it's done well, because it's a very good movie, but... Mm. But... Uh- before we, we finish off by talking about the Best Picture winner, so this week, once again, Twitter was up in arms because the, there seems to be an American remake uh, of Another Round pending with Leonardo DiCaprio circling a role. And film Twitter was up in arms about this um, because obviously, as we all know, once a film gets remade, the original film is thrown into a landfill and is destroyed <laughs> and <laughs> is unavailable for anyone to watch ever again. No, that's not true. But like, I do have a certain amount of sympathy for the position that it shouldn't automatically be remade. Like, great films should not automatically be remade. I think good films with a great idea should be the ones that people actually go and try and remake. Because I will swear up and down to my dying day, I don't care if it won the Oscar, The Departed is less good than Infernal Affairs. Um, I am that's not, not a controversial position, I, I will say. But seriously, people, you know, there are people out there who have not seen Infernal Affairs. It has become clear to me once the Tony Long <laughs> appearance in the in the trailer last week for The Mandarin, people were like, who's that guy? I'm like, oh my God, you How have some catching up to dare do. You? How I know. dare you? I know. Mm. That's not even mentioning In the Mood for Love or 2049 or, or any of the rest. Like, come hard on, boiled, Hard boiled. Come on, folks. <laughs> come come on. on. It's Tony motherfucking anyway, Lung. But my point being... Like it's sometimes you are, it is a bit exasperating. It does make you want to roll your eyes. So yeah, maybe we should let Mads Mikkelsen remake The Wolf of Wall Street. Why can't you just remake this movie with Mads Mikkelsen? You can remake an American version of the movie, right? But just with Mads Mikkelsen as a star, it's fine. You can be a Danish guy living in the States. Sure. But as as someone pointed out, I think it might have been uh, Clarice Lockery pointed out that, you know, another round, which isn't out here yet, as uh, likewise with The Father. Mm. Which I don't think they're out for a few weeks yet, actually. But another round is linked to Danish drinking culture, uh, mm-hmm. which is very different from American drinking culture. So, you know, listen, it might be a different take on it, but also there is the thing of this is a movie that not many people might see. So, therefore, the remake will, will have a much larger audience. That's surely what, what's behind some people's thinking. You know, there are people who will never watch a quote unquote foreign movie or a movie with subtitles or a movie not in the English language, but they will see the American remakes. Having said that, they announced a few years ago a remake of the cracking German film Tony Erdman. Uh, They even had a cast. They had Jack Nicholson and Kristen Wiig lined up. Where's that movie? So what I'm saying is, and also the remake of The Raid, the American remake of The Raid has never happened. So I think- Trying still in development. Absolutely. So these things may never, ever happen. But uh, if they do, every day is Christmas Eve. Maybe. Every day is Christmas Eve! And every day was Christmas Eve and Christmas Day for Nomadland, which won Best Picture. Well done, what Nomadland. A segue. Wow. Oh my God, I'm so good at this. I mean, yeah, I think, you know, I think it is actually a stronger category than Nomadland's dominance might suggest. Mm-hmm. I think Meanery's incredible. I think um, The Father was great. I think Promising Young Woman was great. Sound of Metal, I feel like 
you know, is great. I loved it, but I don't think it's the kind of film that usually wins Oscars. So I think it's just, you know, one of the things that does well to have a nomination. But it's a really strong category, and mm. I'm f- thrilled that it, this was as dominant as it was. I think it really goes to the yeah to the film's strength rather than a weakness of competition. Indeed. So well done, everybody who won an Oscar. Um, this wasn't an, an announcement. Uh, this is a rumor going around, but it was reported last week by The Hollywood Reporter, um, who tend to do a lot of reporting on things in Hollywood, on and Hollywood, they tend to get a yeah. lot of th- things right as well. Mm. So they're saying, and by the way, spoilers lie ahead if you haven't caught up with The Falcon and The Winter Soldier on Disney+. Plus. Although, I mean, not even well, necessarily. Yes and no. Well, yes, yes. And no. yes and no. I would say, okay. I would say yes. So they're saying that Captain America 4 is in development at Marvel, mm-hmm. doesn't have a release date yet, doesn't have a director yet, but it is being developed. And the idea is that it will star Anthony Mackie and he will be Sam Wilson, who now, and this is the spoiler bit, is now officially Captain America in the MCU, which mm. is what happens in the last episode mm. of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Told you there would be spoilers. And that the it's going to be written by Malcolm Spellman, who was the head writer and showrunner of that show, and Dalen Musson, who wrote the best episode of that show, which was episode five. So what do we make of this if it is indeed 100% true? I, you know, We talked about this on our spoiler special podcast that we all want to see a big, big screen movie for Sam Wilson. We all want to see him on the big screen as Captain America. I think it's fair to say that that show was not received as rapturously as WandaVision. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say it had mixed reviews. I mm-hmm. think it's fair to say it was of mixed quality. So how do we feel about two of the writers from that show being essentially the stewards of Captain America 4, if indeed that is going to be the case? I mean, obviously I would, you know, be quite happy if they bunged some money at Marcus and McFeely, presumably quite a lot of money at this point, uh, and got them back for it. Having said that, I think these showrunners potentially, with a bit more time, a bit more space, and a bit less, we think, you know, chopping and changing at the last minute, maybe could do something great. There were moments of greatness in the show. There were moments of greatness. There were moments where they really nailed that character and all around him. And if they can just bring a bit more coherence and a bit more rigor to the storytelling in this film, mm-hmm. then I think that could be a great thing. And I'm really excited to see, you know, Anthony Mackie's Sam Wilson get his day on the big screen because, you know, it would be, it would be counter to the whole idea if they made, you know, him Captain America and then suddenly Captain America went to the small screen, like he doesn't have the appeal that yeah. the white guy had before. That would be contrary to the whole ethos of the character. So mm-hmm. um, so I'm really, really glad to see that they're you know, planning to keep him on the big screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, uh, yeah, I hope that they find a bit more coherence in tone and plot and storytelling than they maybe did in the TV show. Spoiler there for our for our spoiler specials, yeah. where I will be mm. complaining about those things endlessly. <laughs> I look forward to seeing the return of the shield and hopefully a new and significantly improved costume. Oh, you'll definitely get oh, that. God. You'll you'll definitely get that because you know they they they'll they'll tweak that costume for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I as I said on the spoiler podcast because we recorded a little bit after the fact. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic about it because I think. There, there, there seems to have been some sort of 
surgery performed on Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Spellman has alluded to this in interviews he's done since. Um, apparently, it wasn't anything to do with the pandemic storyline. But shorn of that interference with a much bigger budget, with a much bigger canvas, and hopefully it won't be connected to the characters of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I'd love to see Sam on the big screen tackling a different threat, tackling a different scale of threat. Mm. Um, I think one of the things about the Captain America, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, <laughs> or Captain America and the Winter Soldier, was that it was a little bit drab at times, a little bit dour. But And then when it did soar... Those moments, those episodes where it did soar, you could really feel the difference. You could really feel it kicking out of gear. So if they can get a really great director in this one, um, I think there could be real promise ahead. Mm. So I'm cautiously optimistic about it as things stand. Do you think they'll call it Captain America colon Finding Zemo? No, but I think they probably should. And uh, I mean, he's easy to find. They might call it like the comics, Captain America colon Sam Wilson, you know, which was the, the name of the comics for a while. But no, there's there's loads of there's loads of things they could go with. They could have him turn into a communist werewolf, which the comics did at one point. So you know, <laughs> and that's a plot you don't see enough these days. You really don't. They might. They, this might actually be one where we finally see Chris Evans return to the role as well as Steve Rogers. You know, I I, I feel we need some closure on on I Steve. I think we do. I think we've he's had on our the moon, closure. Chris. He's yeah. on the moon. He's on yeah, the moon. He's doing OnlyFans on the moon. Oh my god, yeah. you're obsessed with OnlyFans. Hashtag Steve Thanks. Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> so another sequel that's in the works apparently is uh, potentially called Son of Kong so mm. Adam Wingard is returning uh, Godzilla vs. Kong has been doing Kong Busters at the box office uh, oh even in the even in the middle of a pandemic uh, it's been doing really really well it's made something like 400 million dollars worldwide uh, and counting and yeah it looks like Adam Wingard is returning alright cool yeah I mean, Godzilla vs. Kong was a lot of fun. They still need to sort out their human characters and maybe just cut the number of them by half. But um, but the, the monster stuff was brilliantly directed, I thought. So apparently it's only the seeds of the idea. It's very much at the embry- embryonic stage, and et cetera, et cetera. But it's, um, mm-hmm. And he also does have a Thundercats film to make, so and face let's not off. get ahead of ourselves. And face-off. Yeah, mm-hmm. busy man. Two-face, two-off. <laughs> two-face, two-off. So, yeah. Should be exciting to see what happens in that one. What else happened in the world of movie news this week, folks? Anything else? Anything else happened? Was there anything of any note, any interest whatsoever? There were new trailers this week for West Side Story and In the Heights. So yes. if you are up for a musical set among the Puerto Rican community of New York, Boy, whether in the I present ever. day, whether in the present day or you know the recent past, then mm-hmm. we've got some treats coming your way. Yes, indeed. So I'm I'm uh, I'm very optimistic that In the Heights will be a lot of fun. I can tell you that. I think West Side Story looks um, darker and tougher, and I was just uh, it's got some gorgeous, gorgeous shots, even just in the trailer. So I yeah. hope it's got a little bit of the old Spielberg magic because that shot um, alone of the of the two the gangs, two gangs? The, oh, uh, with the, the shadows, the jets, the jets and the sharks, and it's interesting yeah. that the sharks were able to cast shadows, you know. Because they we don't they don't have, have bones. No bones. They have no yeah. bones, as we know. Yeah, just, so, just cartilage. Yeah, so you think they'd be flopping around with no structure whatsoever? But no, no, they do. They, yeah. you know, they. He's you know, not so even listening to us, Chris. No, he's not. So is he? Not he's even, completely and utterly zoned out. No, I'm looking at news <laughs> stories. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. <laughs> you don't need me to uh, to listen to you. <laughs> we're talking I can't about sharks. We were talking Sorry, about sharks. I apologize. You weren't multitasking. <laughs> I think it's come to the point where I have now become adept at screening out shark information, so I had to do it for a full hour this week. So, yeah. 
It's like uh, sharks can't yeah. stay still. Look up. I can't listen yeah. to them. I, I, have, I have to say, I you know, I'm really hopeful, and uh, I'm really hopeful that Spielberg has knocked it out of the park with West Side Story. Mm-hmm. But uh, everything I I have seen of In the Heights, and everything I know of In the Heights from those who may have seen a bit more than I have seen, would seem to indicate that it is phenomenal. It is brilliant. Um, I'm not breaking any embargoes by saying that, so uh, <laughs> it's totally fine. I hear it's really, really, really good, and. I wonder if that might steal a little bit of West Side Story's thunder. Having said that, it is Spielberg, it is West Side Story. The trailer yeah. does have amazing shots in it. So maybe we'll have two incredible musicals. I'm optimistic, yeah. Did anyone see the trailer for The Tomorrow War? I did indeed see the trailer for The Tomorrow War, which feels a very James thing in that it's, you know, it's futury, it's got Chris Pratt in it, it's science fiction you know, I love all that stuff. That said, it had the whiff of Skyline about it when I saw the trailer, so I'm not entirely sold on it just yet. A lot of people love Skyline. Yet. A lot of people yeah, people time. like Skyline. <laughs> a lot of people have time they should not be spending watching Skyline or indeed it's terrible sequels. Um, no. Oh, wow. uh, so I, I, it's Chris Pratt. It's science fiction. Like, I was sold the second they announced those facts. However, I'm not sure the trailer necessarily does the best job of selling it. Who knows? We will find out soon. It's a slightly generic name between Edge of Tomorrow and, you know, lots of other sci-fi classics like it's The not Forever War, no. Old Man's War. It just, you know... Uh, I don't know. But I'm, yeah, I'm obviously 100% yeah. there anyway, so it yeah. doesn't really matter. Yeah, the concept alone. We need nothing more. Finally, Hell's Bells, you'd be very delighted to know that, uh, you'll be very delighted to know that uh, Disenchanted, the Enchanted sequel, has cast Ooh. three villains. Hurrah. Or three three characters as well. Three three new characters, uh, one of whom is the villain, Maya Rudolph, <gasps> Yvette Nicole Brown, and <gasps> Jemma Mays. Oh, yeah. There are three very good actors. Yeah. And and this week, Patrick Dempsey has also revealed that he will be singing in the movie and he has never sung before. And he says there's a reason for that. Oh, oh look, if Piers Brosnan can do it. I was reading today about, um, or listening today about I'll Do Anything. Yes. James L. Brooks, mm-hmm. quote unquote, musical of the 1990s, mm-hmm. which started off as a musical, but then he cast people who either couldn't sing or couldn't dance. Yes. And, uh, and ended up not being a musical. <laughs> Wow. You think that would be the first thing you would do in a musical, you think right? It would be, you think it would be on your list of nice-to-haves, at the very least. But yeah. no. Uh, we mentioned Malcolm Spellman ever so briefly there, but uh, he is partly responsible for Muscle. He did a rewrite on Muscle, which is new F. Gary Gray film, which Vin Diesel is going to be starring in. And we, frankly, we don't know anything more about it than that. If they can rekindle even 50% of the magic that they did in Fast <laughs> and Furious 8, <laughs> then I am there no i can't say that anymore no i am excited no every day oh god yes i i await that movie with great anticipation great ish anticipation some anticipation <laughs> some, some anticipation, anticipation. <laughs> i'll watch it yeah. i await I'll that movie it, yeah. on a plane <laughs> right so the movie news is now safely out of the way so now we can delve deep 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 into this week's big releases and i guess there's no bigger release than the winner of the best picture oscar Right? Mm. Right? Yes. Yes. Oh, Nomadland. And it is hitting in in these shores anyway. People in the States are going, I've already seen it. It came out months ago. What are you talking about? But over here, it is exclusively on Disney Plus as part of your Disney Plus package. It's a bit of a shame. I'm hoping that this one will actually hit some cinemas when, think, when cinemas reopen in a few weeks. Yeah, I think that's the plan and the hope that it will be in cinemas in a few weeks. But in the mm-hmm. meantime, at least we can see it, um, which particularly after the Oscar win is a good thing. Yes. And this is the story of Fern, who is Francis McDormand's character, 
who, you know, lived a normal kind of working slash middle class life. You know, she worked in a factory with her husband. They had a house, they had a, you know, average life. And mm-hmm. then between the factory going bust and her husband dying, she's basically been left with very little. And she now lives in a van and travels the West, um, taking seasonal work wherever she can get it and kind of living this nomadic life on the, on the edge of society. So this is based on a book by Jessica Bruder. It's a real subculture. It's a real story. Uh, Many of the people who were interviewed for the book are supporting characters in this film. So it is, apart from David Strathairn, who plays another van owner, and McDormand herself, most of the people are just kind of people going about their day in the same way that uh, the the rider, uh, Joe's previous film, was was kind of very, very closely based in real life and with non-professional actors as well. But it's really just a story of... um, I guess resilience, survival of this woman who, by modern standards, by general standards, kind of has nothing or close to nothing, but just keeps on trucking, keeps on going, and mm-hmm. keeps fighting her her way through the world, and and is determined to be self sufficient and and everything else. So, the one criticism I've one serious criticism I've seen of the film is that it kind of lets off, you know, the companies who employ these people for minimum wages too lightly. Mm. That Amazon, in particular, for example, you know, is not condemned per se. But if you don't see the condemnation in this film, I just think you're not looking hard enough. I think that while Fern herself is incredibly resilient and tough and, you know, wonderful actually and really kind of heroic, I just I don't think this film presents a society that is doing right by people. I wondered about that, about the Amazon thing. Is it like mm. the military whereby you can only use their stuff if you put them in a positive yeah. light? It's not not that they, they didn't say positive light, but they did uh, Frances McDormand did write them a letter and yeah. say I think I think she basically said we aren't doing a hit job, which they weren't. No, That's true. She wasn't lying. No. But you know, Amazon probably does deserve a hit job. So it's, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it's 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 a it's a, I think it's a more layered film than maybe people are giving it credit for. I don't think you need to specifically denounce Amazon at length in order to see that you know mm. Amazon fulfillment centers are pretty tough places to work um, yeah. in this in this environment. I yeah, I I just think I mean the the performances are great. You cannot tell the difference between the normal people going about their day and Frances McDormand in the middle of them just blending in. I think yeah, mm. but but it also delivers with the emotional stuff. It also does not just portray a reality, but also kind of bring you into a personal story and show you the the difficulties that she faces, the, the moments of loneliness maybe, or or certainly where a normal person would be lonely. Maybe Fern isn't. Um <laughs> and I think it it's yeah, I think it's it's a I think Ian said in the review it was a middle ground between Terence Malick realism and and some kind of documentary. And I think that's <laughs> probably true. I think that's a fair way of looking at it. It's gorgeously shot by Joshua mm. James Richards, who who won the BAFTA, and uh, yeah, really beautifully scored. I just think it's great. Yeah, it's an interesting. I don't think everyone's going to get on with it mm. because it's not it's not so much got a story to it. It's got a really nomadic plot. Like it drifts yeah. along and it's like a collection of interactions between people rather than a, a large sort of narrative to it. And it feels very much like, you know, it's part parrot character study part sort of mood part sort of musing on i guess you know like these kind of american towns which are built around a single you know a single sort of industry in this case that factory and like what happens to her when she's untethered unmoored from her life both when her partner dies and when her existence essentially evaporates and how she 
adjust to that and sort of falls in love with this nomadic lifestyle. It's a, it's a kind of thing which could only really work in a country like America. You can't really see that. I'm going to go through the great, you know, west of the Surrey Highlands. Like, I don't, it's, it's not sort of thing in a country this small. It's, it's not something I think we naturally sort of the great British road trip isn't really an institution, is it? No. Although, I mean, there are the people who, you know, move into a mobile home when they retire and just drive around Europe, or there used to be, obviously. Yeah, maybe that's not true. Now when with Europe is your on. playground. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> indeed. Um, but there is something about this and the sort of the celebration of the American landscape is in there as well. And, you know, the, the sort of the free spirits of the people that she encounters and their sort of, you know, life has, has not necessarily been kind to all of them, but the resilience on display in this film, I think, is really sort of heartening. But it is desperately sad like i yeah. it really really is a very sorrowful sort of melancholic film um but it is be- it is beautiful yeah. it is absolutely I, 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 and i do think it's fern's own kind of strength that gets you through that melancholy because mm. because it's there and she knows it's there she's not kind yeah. of denying it but i think you you at least um can take some comfort from her personal strength i think but yeah you're right it's um it's lovely Particularly like the fact that Ian Frears, kind of, uh, who reviewed this for us, his take on this would have been, he thought it would be a huge punt to wager that the must-see film of 2021 would be one in which Francis McDormand shits in a bucket. Mm. So, you know, who saw Here that? Here we coming? are. Oh, she, she does it in the uh, deleted scenes in Darkman. So. <laughs> oh my God, you're obsessed with Darkman. <laughs> of course I'm obsessed with Darkman. Have I you know, seen Darkman? as I said it. <sighs> So Chloe Chow has directed, this is her third movie. I, 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 weirdly, wasn't this meant to come out after Eternals? Because Eternals has been pushed back so much that Eternals, I think, was meant to come out first. But weirdly, was, this yeah. is, yeah. yeah, maybe worked nicely the other way. Oh, very much so. Songs My Brothers Taught Me and The Rider are yeah. both also tremendous. If you haven't seen those, check them out. Seriously. Five stars then for Nomadland. And we're going to stay in five star, Phil, right now. Spoiler alert, because that's what we gave to The Mitchells versus... The Machines, which is the latest animated movie to be produced by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. The genius is behind the Jump Street movies, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, the Lego movie, and a cut of Solo that I am desperate to see. Oh, I'd love to see what they did in that movie. But hey-ho, hey-ho, getting carried away. This is a, a movie that was meant to be, once again, on the big screen. This is a Sony Pictures animation movie. It's a Sony Pictures movie. Um, it is now on Netflix. And I think Netflix's gain is cinema's loss, quite frankly, mm-hmm. with this one. Mm. Jimbo, tell us about this. So I should I should preface this by saying, when I heard that our very own Ben Travis, who I love like a son, had given this five stars. Maybe not like I a thought, son. Well, maybe like a, a sort of a cousin that you don't see very often and is kind of annoying. But um, you know, when I heard he'd given this five stars, like here we go again. He's gone full fucking Travis again. You know, we're gonna. It's another film that Ben's got wrong, and people. And I just thought, and he was like, no, no, no. He's like, just watch it. And I just thought, well, it's on Netflix. He's called The Mitchells versus the Machines, which, let's be honest, is a pretty terrible title. It was called Connected originally. It was called it's Connected. A better connect- which is, it's a better title than that. That's not good either. Yeah. So <laughs> it's got it's got nomenclature issues, and so I was I sat down this with like a proper fucking face on, like with full of spite wanting to hate this film and wanting to go back to Ben and go full Wonder Woman 84 slash Rise of Skywalker on his ass and, you know, reading the right out for being wrong. And yet, this is a fucking nailed on five star film. It is absolutely brilliant. And I have a heart of stone and I laughed all the way through this and was filled with the kind of joy I probably have never experienced before but <laughs> i'm getting ahead of my health self so this is a this is a film about uh katie mitchell who's voiced by abby jacobson and uh, she is going away to sort of film school she's leaving her home and as part of that her dad who's voiced by daddy mcbride decides she's not going to fly as a family bonding 
uh, exercise. They're going to take a road trip to film school because they've kind of grown apart over time. So this becomes a, a road trip across America, which is rapidly derailed when an artificial intelligence, which is basically an iPhone voiced brilliantly by Olivia Coleman, decides mm-hmm. to stage the robopocalypse and robots take over the world. Now, the thing about this film is it is fucking nuts on every single level. Yeah. Like the plot is deranged. It has this or equally deranged sort of visual style. Like the design of the characters and the art in this is incredible. So it's mm. it's quirky in the same way. It doesn't look like Spider-Verse, but it's quirky in that way where it's obviously it's a, it's a 3D movie, but it uses a kind of like 2D textures on the 3D models. So it mixes those two different forms of animation in the visual style. Uh, it almost has a little claymation look to it at times as well. Has a bit of an Aardman vibe for me. So it's got these very striking visuals, but the gag rate in this is like machine gun yeah. fire. They come so quick. They come so fast. And like, I'm not a huge fan of the Lego movies, but I think the Jump Street films are genius. And for me, it's like that, where it's just gag, 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 gag. And 99% of these gags just squarely land. And they're pitch really broad as well. Like there are, there'll be gags, which what kids will get. There'll be really dark gags for adults, but with a kind of rapidity that even Pixar has never really managed, this kind of rapid fire humor in there. And this made me realize that Pixar, while I love them, for me certainly have been off the boil for a while. Like I didn't get on so well with Soul. And this was like, this was kind of an animation where I'm like this, I'd hold this up to anything. I think this is fantastic. Mm. I think there's a joke with a Furby in there, which is a stone cold classic and had me howling. There are physical <laughs> gags. There are there's language <laughs> gags. There's absurd gags. I I cannot tell you how much I enjoyed this mm. film. I it was wonderful and i kind of think that it's an animated movie about robots taking over the world it's on netflix and it's called the mitchells versus the machines so it's the kind of film that's absolutely ignorable you saw this pop up in your netflix feed you're probably not going to watch it but everyone needs to watch this film i don't care what you do i don't care who you are i don't care how old you are watch this fucking film because and i hate saying this ben travis was right i was exactly the same i was like ben's gotta be overdoing it it's maybe a four star but come on and and actually for the first half hour or so i was kind of going i mean it's funny it's good but it's it's four star come on come on but it just got steadily funnier and steadily more emotional <laughs> the whole way through the whole way through so so yeah i i i ended up crying with laughter Maybe actually crying a little bit as well at some of the more emotional stuff. I just think it's brilliant. Yeah. I, I we should was... say it's written and directed by uh, Michael Rianda and Jeff Rowe, obviously produced by Lord and Miller. Yeah, and and Rianda also voices the younger uh, brother of the yeah. uh, of the family, who is brilliant, incredible. Although his voice freaked me the fuck out because he has yeah, but... an adult voice and yet looks about fine. No, but he's got this weird little voice. It's so good. It's so <laughs> he's good. a nerd. That character is a nerd. He is a He's a proper nerd. I respect his nerviness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I suspect Michael Rianda, there's a lot of him in a lot of the characters here as well. Yeah, I think so. There is a recurring gag around their dog, which is (gasps) absolutely nailed on genius. Inspired. There's a double act in the movie. I don't want to give too much away, but there's a double act in the movie voiced by Fred Armisen and Beck Bennett. Oh, yeah. uh, Which is just... They're they're so good together. They're so funny, yeah. and I I wanted more of those those guys as well because every time they appeared, they just made me laugh so much. Mm. Uh, this is such a good film, and absolutely nobody shits in a bucket at any point. And what more recommendation can you can you want I mean, really? I feel it's like we're being so inconsistent good. now. We're we're recommending one <laughs> film because it does have shitting in a bucket, one film because it doesn't. You know, people are going to be confused. <laughs> okay. 
What is our position on film soon that metaphorically shits the bucket? So. Hey. <laughs> I, I, do, I, do, I do need to get my, my story straight on shitting in a bucket. Is it good or is it bad? It depends on your circumstances, depends on how you I do guess. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, yeah, if you do it with a LAN, you know, then I think it's fine. Can you shit in a bucket with a LAN? Let's find out on next week's episode. Anyway, five stars in for the Mitchells versus the Machines. And now we're going to go on to a movie. Um, let's go on to Wild Mountain Time, shall we, Helen? <laughs> well, we've had two five-star films in a row, so uh, it must yes. be time for... The third five-star movie of the week, which is Wild Mountain Time, so it is. So it and is. I'm going to get it out of the way very early. I don't know whether you agree or not, but I thought the accents weren't that bad. Christopher Walken's maybe. Christopher but- Walken's is pretty bad. Hers is decent, but does have slips. Um, I thought that um, Jamie Dornan's was pretty good. Um, yeah. I, I just... He has right, home advantage, I mean, of course. He does have home field advantage, uh, certainly, yes. Yeah. So this is theoretically set in modern day Ireland. And you can tell that because people occasionally fly somewhere, but otherwise you cannot tell that at all um, through any means whatsoever. But it's about farmers uh, played by uh, Emily Blunt, who's Rosemary, and Jamie Dornan, who plays Anthony. They have been neighbours since childhood. They clearly fancy the pants off each other. But for some reason, they've never quite gotten together. And the reason, I believe you, me, you will never in a million years guess what the reason is. So I'm not going to spoil it, but you would, there is no, there is no way, unless you read spoilers online, that you will ever understand what the reason is that has kept these two beautiful young people in this isolated place where there are no other romantic prospects Mm -hmm. apart. They should, should be rutting. This film should be you know, wall to wall rutting. Uh, for, yeah, and, and it's not. It's not. And it's it's not, just two it's people not, dancing it's very, around each very other. Very innocent. Yeah. So yeah. Um, Anthony's father, uh, Tony, who's played by Christopher Walken with a much dodgier accent, wants to sell his farm potentially to the American cousin, Adam, who's played by John Hamm. I thought his and, accent was fucking terrible, by the way. John well, Hamm. He, he just didn't even try, did he? He just played no. American. It's crazy. Yeah, awful. And this would seem to be, you know, the sort of the end for them, for, for Anthony. He would be kind of left without his home, without his girl. He keeps telling her that she can do better than him and she should move abroad and find somebody else. It's all based on John Patrick Shanley's play, and there are bits in this which I can see working on stage, and I can even imagine really enjoying on stage, and that absolutely did my head in on screen. This could not be a more regressive picture of Ireland if Darby O'Gale <laughs> literally turned up in the middle of it. Like There is no part of this that feels representative of modern Ireland. There is no acknowledgement that cities exist in Ireland. You know? I d- oh. like Darby O'Gale would turn up and go, lads, lads, you, you know, this, you're a bit over the top here with your stereotypical ways. <laughs> would you mind calming it down? I mean, we Just were at a least, little bit. this was at least set in the 1850s. You know, you don't have any any excuse at all. <laughs> oh my God. It's, yeah, it's, it's so, it's kind of going for quirky. It's going for that sense of blarney and malarkey and, um, and, and none of it, uh, justifies its existence. So, I mean, look, watch it by all means for the, for the, for the accents. Um, watch it by all means for the landscapes, which are beautiful. Uh, mm. There's a bit that looks like a Lloyd's advert come to life with a black horse running through an incredibly green field. <laughs> Very lovely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But all the I time. Mean, do, do not do not look for it as a as a portrait of Ireland or Irish people, and 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 marvel at the at the reason that these two are not together. That just what really wow. 
I and maybe I was going into it with a kind of this film is going to be terrible because of the trailer and yeah. because of people's reactions to it. Uh, but I thought there are, there are moments of quiet charm here. I think the performances by and large, yeah, yeah. if you get around, you know, some of the accents and I say some of the accents, you know, it's it's fine. This is not <laughs> I can't believe this is a recommendation. This is not a car crash. Okay, this is not a car crash. We gave it two stars. It's a bumper scrape. Because there, like... there are no cars to crash. It's all horses. Mm. It's not a horse crash. It's not a car crash. There is a car crash in it, actually. Actually, there is. There is. Uh, two stars, though. But we gave it two stars. And I, I do wonder if they had fully committed and had someone shit in a bucket, whether we would have given it five or not given it five. I'm really confused by that. But either way, there is no bucket shitting action in Wild Mountain Time. So take that as you will. But we gave this one two stars. Why is two this a new metric? Oh, my <laughs> this film shits in two buckets. <laughs> I'm not the one who made the film about someone pooping into a bucket. Uh, finally, we move on to the last film this week, which is out on Prime Video. Again, it's one of those movies that was meant to be out in an actual cinema, on an actual cinema screen. But now it's on Prime Video, and it is without remorse. Now, is this a film about Michael B. Jordan crapping into a bucket without remorse, <laughs> or is there something more involved going on here? James Dyer, tell me. There is no bucket shitting in this film. Though it is the kind of stuff you can find on Tom Clancy's OnlyFans. Uh, this is, <laughs> if you know your Clancy, you'll know that Jack Ryan is the sort of, Jack Ryan was a great big fucking nerd. Mm. Tom Clancy's uh, OnlyFans, by the way, is Jack off Ryan. <laughs> if oh, you no. Wanna... <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, that's a clear and present danger. Look, let, with this, so Jack Ryan, Jack Ryan is your, he's your great big fucking he's your nerd. Analyst. Of the, yeah, of, he's, he's your the analyst of your guy. Tom Clancyverse. If you put him at one end of the spectrum, at the very other end of the spectrum, you will find the polar opposite, which is John Kelly, here played by Michael B. Jordan. He is a Navy SEAL. He is a badass. He kills motherfuckers, shits in buckets, does it all in one day. Um, <laughs> And this is his film, essentially. So this is Michael B. Jordan as John Kelly, and he is uh, a SEAL. Uh, uh, an operation in Syria goes uh, south, quite frankly. And then when he gets back uh, to America, some nasty Russians come to his house, murder his wife, leave him for dead. His pregnant he, wife. His pregnant his wife. Pregnant wife his pregnant it wasn't wife. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. Exactly. That's fridging the shit out of this. So he then goes on a rampage of revenge, which takes him to Russia, and lots of action sequences. Many people become... It riddled with bullets. Uh, it become, has a kind of a... <laughs> become it sounds riddled like a medical condition. Yes. Sorry. He has become riddled with bullets. He was in a bucket and somehow became riddled with bullets. Um, so, okay, what this is, it has a very 80s sensibility. <laughs> we have your test results film. back. I'm afraid you've become riddled with bullets. <laughs> oh, no. Is there any cure? No, generally speaking, not. But I'm afraid blood le oh. is leaking out of your body. There are multiple holes all across you at the moment. The prognosis is not good. <laughs> Sorry, James. No one in this film who is treated for being riddled with bullets survives. That's a massive spoiler okay. for apart you. Apart from him. Uh, apart Me. from him. And then and survives without any form of visible scarring, not which is extraordinary what they I'm can do with plastic surgery these days. <laughs> uh, and he takes his top off quite a lot as well. I know. Um, this is a man who Terrible. weaponizes his T-shirt at one point in the film. He is that much of a badass. Um, look, this film doesn't really have a story. It has that kind of 80s revenge movie thing mm -hmm. going on. Um, uh, there is a quote-unquote twist, which you will see within the first five minutes. But none of that matters because it's got really inventive uh, action. So this is di directed by Stefano uh, Salima, who did, mm -hmm. among other things, the uh, Sicario sequel, Soldado, mm -hmm. which was, you know, dull. Hey, I like that movie. 
He's also worked on 000, the TV show. And uh, what he's done here is he showed he can construct a really, really nice tight action sequence. There are some really, really good ones in here. One involving a crashed plane. There's one in a kind of Russian tenement. But these are really, really well-staged action sequences. And this film is essentially that. It is action set piece, action set piece, action set piece, nonsensical political thriller kind of mm. threading them together. And that's kind of where it falls down. It doesn't have a particularly coherent or compelling plot. But what it does have is a Michael B. Jordan. And I think that makes up for a lot like he's massively charismatic he absolutely sells this character who is possibly a sociopath and just kills the shit out of everyone but he's incredibly likable for it and i don't think it matters that the story really doesn't make a lot of sense and isn't very compelling because there's a lot of fun going on the screen i want to see this show i want this i want the john kelly amazon tv show after this i would love to see jordan back in this role i don't think it will happen but i i really would like to see it i I love your image at the beginning by the way of jack ryan at one end of a scale and john kelly the other Given how many people Jack Ryan personally has killed, like that's <laughs> yeah, but he's a great a, big fucking nerd about it. That's a that's a skewed scale. John Kelly yeah. kills people by looking at them. That's yeah. true. He does. He does. Jack Ryan kills people and then goes home and makes a note of it in his ledger because he's such oh, a yeah, nerd. Absolutely, he's, he's a There's big a old, lot of red in his letter ledger, yeah. but it's red biros yeah. that have carefully formatted in golems. Good Fifteen Lord. people became riddled with bullets today. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. all my fault. He does all the paperwork. John Kelly does no fucking paperwork. I can tell you that now. We should point out that John Kelly is also John Clark mm. and that John Clark is the character that was played in The Sum of All Fears by Liev Schreiber and In Clear Present Danger by Willem Dafoe. Mm. So this is trying to set up, and he's also a big part of Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six, yeah. uh, which is not part of Tom Clancy's OnlyFans, that's Rainbow 69. <laughs> and if... Um, so this is clearly an attempt to start a new franchise. And who knows? They're both, they're both, I guess, on Amazon, although not by design. This was a Paramount movie when it started off. So I don't know whether we're going to see a team-up movie with uh, John Krasinski's Jack Ryan yeah. and Michael B. Jordan's mm. John Kelly slash Clark happen. at some it point down the line. But but yeah, I, I, I'm kind of with you on this one in that I feel that a movie with a plot this hackneyed mm-hmm. has to have action scenes that really set it apart. John Wick has action scenes that really, really set it apart, the whole John Wick franchise. I think this is very good action scene. Just, yeah, you know, I don't want to give too Wick much level. away, but they're not on that level. But, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a diverting um, and, pl- and fairly pleasant hour and 45 minutes or whatever it is. Yeah, I, I, it does feel like a throwback to me and, and a not always successful one. I think Michael B. Jordan just about carries it through. And and like we haven't mentioned, like Jodie Turner-Smith as Karen Greer is, has a mm. real kind of moral centre to the film and, and a real kind of steadying presence in it. So there were good people in here. Guy Pearce and Jamie Bell are also in it um, in, in sort of slightly more complicated roles. I just... Um, I really hate the fridging. I really struggle to get past it because mm. there's zero need for it. You could remove that from the film and still have exactly the same film. So I really object to that. I just felt like it, they could have made the plot a little bit more interesting. Like They have completely changed the plot from the novel. So yeah. there's, oh, yeah. there's a lot yeah. of room here to actually zhuzh things up a bit and <laughs> make, make it, it a little bit, hmm. yeah, a little bit less predictable because the Jack Ryan films at their best are do actually keep you guessing and hmm. do have genuine kind of revelations as you go along. And this never felt like it did. I felt like I saw the baddie coming from minute one, pretty much, or certainly minute one of, of that person's screen time. And you're like, oh, okay, well, how long is it going to take him to catch up with me? And he's supposed to be ahead of me, you know? He's supposed to be smart. Mm. So I, 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 I didn't love it as much as I would like to. Yeah. Anyway, 
Three stars in for Without Remorse. And on that note, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Hope you guys have enjoyed it, despite all the talk of OnlyFans and <laughs> shitting into buckets. Uh, next week, we will be doing neither of those things with the one and only... I hope this is going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. But Emily Mortimer, she was on the podcast last year mm. and she was talking then about a show she has written and directed for the BBC called The Pursuit of Love based on the classic book. And she's going to be on the show next week, I hope, to talk about that. And maybe, also, maybe we'll be joined by not one, but two hobbits, Dominic Monaghan and Billy Boyd. What are they Ooh. going to be talking about? You'll see. You'll see. That is, of course, if Dominic Monaghan's still alive. Did anyone see this thing <laughs> this week on his Instagram where he posted he has There's found, a snake in his boot. He, he found a wounded rattlesnake in his home in the Hollywood Hills. And now because he's gone full Steve Irwin, uh, he has brought this snake into his house to rehabilitate it. And he's just, he there's a he's put up a video of the snake just on his living room floor, just being ah. rattlesnakey. And he's like, oh, look at the snake. It's amazing. Look, if I move my position, if I move my body position and he moves just a, an inch and the snake goes into full, fuck off mode with his rattle rattle going and it's you know tongue flicking out and dom mate honestly what are you mm-mm, doing mm-mm, what are you doing mm-mm, mm-mm. no no thank you no, hard no. pass hard pass no thank you no thank you indeed anyway presuming of course he's alive hopefully he'll be on next week's show or the week after but uh until we meet again until then until that auspicious occasion it is goodbye from my two colleagues of such lethal cunning squadcast names the Dyers versus the Dinosaurs, James Dyer. Goodbye. You can find me on my OnlyFans, otherwise known as the Pilot TV Podcast, which goes oh out God. on Monday. And it we'll is be reviewing. A pile of wank, in fairness. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. We'll be reviewing Emily Mortimer's The Pursuit of Love this week, as well as season two of Mythic Quest and Bloods. And Josh Dumel will be our guest on the podcast to talk about Jupiter's Legacy, which comes to Netflix next week as well. Really doesn't get much bigger than that. And. It's goodbye also from No Time to Die, but she spelled time as in while mountain time. Very clever. Very so clever, clever. date. <laughs> Helen O'Hara. I stole it from James. Doodle all. Oh. <laughs> Don't. I I'm, guess you I'm have giving, to. You have I to, am giving credit in this case. You I have, have to, to fob off credit for this one because it's really. <laughs> I was very uninspired this morning. It's James level punning. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. At least you've tried. I haven't tried at all. It's goodbye from me, Darby O'Gill. That's as good as you're going to get this week, folks. <laughs> I'm off to tick one off my bucket list, if you know what I mean. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.